0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Teeth and Tails. I'm your host, Dr. Shadi Manicheri, and today's episode is all about the aging process of the face with the wonderful Dr. Yusra. In the first part of this episode, Dr. Yusra shares a very honest account of her journey so far and how she became involved in the medical aesthetic field. Dr. Yusra also shares how she manages her family life as well as her professional life. She discusses how she copes with having the responsibility of running her own clinics, as well as looking after her young family. In the second part of this episode, Dr. Yosra and I talk about the facial aging process and how we age in layers. We talk about the science behind the aging process as well as the presentations that we see on ourselves and on our clients clinically. We also talk about how the increased exposure to screens as a result of working from home and lockdown restrictions has impacted our skin and what we can do to combat that. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode and let's get into it. Hi, Dr. Yossara. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm
1: really well, Shadzi. Thank you. How are you?
0: I'm very well. Thank you. I'm very excited for this episode. This is my third facial aesthetics episode because I think there's so much to cover and I'm really excited about today's topic. But before we get into that, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and how you got here, please?
1: Sure. So um, I'm a dental surgeon by background and um, I spent several years after doing my dental surgery in head and neck surgery, so myxido-facial surgery um, I did that for two years before then becoming a specialty doctor in um, oral surgery and teaching students, fifth year students, um, about oral surgery, how to take out teeth and head and neck um, cancer, and that was in London. Um, and after I did those two years in, in head and neck surgery, I decided to combine that information that I had developed and all of that skill set um, and go back into primary care. So I am back into the uh, primary dental care. Um, where I spent time working in the NHS before I went fully private in 2014 or 2015. And since then, I've been um, focusing on aesthetic dentistry and facial aesthetics. In the last three years, um, I started on my own practice um, and I moved to Liverpool. So I started a practice in Liverpool Um, and I have um, a patient base that I developed over several years in London and um, so I traveled back between London and Liverpool and I have a great team um, of supportive staff and of doctors that work alongside me that help me to look after all my patients
0: wonderful and how was the I suppose if you did head and neck surgery it was a natural transition but going from dentistry to facial aesthetics and focusing on that even though it's you know the head and neck there's a lot to learn how was the transition for you
1: I think the the most daunting step was going from uh, dentistry to head and neck um, because I worked in a district general hospital, which was really intense um, and it was almost like being thrown in the deep end, but you learn the best that way and the most that way. So I learned a lot and I was always sort of really interested in head and neck surgery because when I was eight years old, I had an accident and I cut my lip quite badly and I had to go to a head and neck surgery department and get that stitched back together um, and it left quite a prominent scar for many, many years. So I was always intrigued by um, that aspect of healthcare, And so for me, it was really organic and it was something I really wanted to know about. And I really understood the impact it would have on patients. Um, and then when I did have the next surgery, one of the most fascinating parts of it was orthognathic surgery, which is treating um, skeletal or craniofacial base disproportion. And... Um, I was so amazed by it. Um, and it was amazing being a part of the team that helped to look after the patients and witness the transformations. But I also saw the psychological impacts it had in the adaptation that the patient had to go through because it's quite considerable um, and significant surgery and the healing time is really intense. Um, and then the psychological impacts of, of dealing with almost a whole new face in one go can also be quite emotionally challenging um so i wondered is there something that we can do that is less invasive and produces similar results without having to undergo the downtime um both physically and mentally and that's how i went into facial aesthetics that was back in 2012. um so it was it was really natural progression um and that was the main reason why i wanted to do it was to focus on facial deformity and now in my clinic the premise of the clinic is holistic healthcare. care and holistic facial rejuvenation. And what I mean by that is caring for patients from all aspects. So we've got a dental department, we have a skin department, um, we've got the aesthetic medicine department, which is the injectables. Um, we've got um, health, so physical health and body contouring. And then we have mind health departments. Um, so, and, and that's something that I'm really, really passionate about is making sure patients are well supported emotionally, physically, mentally along the journey. Uh, so we have a team of clinical psychologists as well. So, so for me, everything has been organic. Every single decision I've made, every single treatment that I've um thrown myself into has been super organic. Um, I don't think there's been that much structured thought that's gone into it. I've just gone into doing what I love. Um, and for me, what I love is helping patients. And, and I think that's why facial deformity makes such a, a, a big impact for me and for my patients because it's life changing. Um, and witnessing the effects it has on patients it's really it, I, I call it chicken soup for my soul and um, so I love it <laughs> yeah it's true I think what
0: a lot of people might not realize is that although things like facial aesthetics are obviously cosmetic treatment there is a lot of planning that goes on behind it there's a lot of thorough assessment that goes behind it to check you know the patient's psychological state and make sure that they're well supported throughout their journey and it's not only the aesthetic change that you see but actually it makes a big difference to patients. You know, it helps them build their confidence. And the the procedure that you do, it could be even in in your eyes because you're used to doing very complex things and you have a range of treatments that you can offer the patient. So even from the most basic treatment that you provide, the impact that it has on the patient could actually be quite severe. And I think it's wonderful that you have a holistic clinic with psychologists and things because it, it is very important for patients to be supported throughout that journey and for you to make the right decision because- especially when things like body dysmorphia and those conditions are involved, then you need to make sure that you are providing the right um, treatment for the patient. It's not just injecting and going, it's doing that whole assessment and making sure the patient is fully supported.
1: 100%.
0: Did you have any points in your journey where you kind of doubted what you were doing or where you were going or any kind of major pitfalls or um, anything that threw you off track but ended up being sort of the silver lining because this is something that we focus on on the podcast a lot because I'm quite passionate about this and I think everyone who's very successful has by default had points in their career and their progression where they you know things weren't going to their plan so did you have anything like that at all in your journey?
1: Absolutely so many I don't even know where to start Um, but I I totally I think I'm a strong believer that everything happens for a good reason. Um, and when things do throw me, of course, and they do, and I'm human, and, and it will happen and continue to happen, um, I always thank God for it, because I think for every door closed, another one opens, um, and for every rejection or difficulty, um, it's just, it's opportunity for redirection and refocusing, and um, so, I mean, did I have any times where I wondered why I was doing what I was doing? Yes, I think when I left dentistry and um, when I when I took a big step back was after I had my second child. I had been I have been really juggling my first child and, and childcare and I'm um, traveling in quite far to work. Um, and I made a decision then, okay, I'm going to work for myself and I'm going to start slow um, and I'm going to focus on facial aesthetics. And that was in Liverpool. And um, the the clientele and the request that I was getting was sort of the bigger, the better, the faker, the better. Mm. You know, it it wasn't fulfilling my purpose. And I started to feel guilty and think, hold on. Um, And I compared it to, you know, in Africa, there is a tribe where they chip women's teeth into sharp little teeth because that's what's deemed attractive. Um, And then in other parts of Africa, they put rings around women's necks to elongate the neck because that's what's deemed attractive. And in China, they crush women's feet because again, that's what's deemed attractive. But all of it is is women undergoing pain to change their morphological appearance to become more aesthetically pleasing for society. And I thought, what is the difference with that and lip augmentation for the sake of lip augmentation? And I had a real moral dilemma with that. Um, And I sort of made a decision that Um, I wasn't going to do it just for the sake of doing it and just because it was a fad. And that doesn't mean that I don't do lip augmentation. Of course I do as part of, um, you know, facial reconstruction and and beautification, but it's got to be for the right reasons. Um, And so if a patient comes in and says, I want big lips because my best friend has big lips or because this influencer on social media has big lips, then I will spend that time actually counseling them that they don't need it. uh, And they are beautiful as they are and empowering them in other ways. Um, And I think that really fulfills my purpose and my why, and that helps me to redirect. And I'm not afraid to say no to a patient. If I don't think that it's going to aesthetically um, enhance them and actually will detract from their beauty, then I will be the first person to tell them. Um, And I think it's really important, particularly in facial aesthetics, where we know that 5 to 10% of patients that come to see us do have underlying body dysmorphia. You need to screen for that. You need to have open and honest conversations, non-judgmental conversations. And again, it's safeguarding a patient's overall health and well-being. Um, So really defining my why was a big um, step in, in, and I think the progression of the rest of my journey. Um, I think knowing what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do and communicating that quite opened me with my patients and even on social media allowed me then to, to focus on a niche. And, um, and I feel that that niche is mainly facial reconstruction, um, anti-aging um, and allowing people to look amazing, but feel amazing. And I think the idea really is to restore and reconstruct where necessary, but never to distort. Um, and, and that's my pet um, dislike in, in sometimes in facial aesthetics and we see it amongst practitioners and, and amongst the public where they get carried away. And I think it's the responsibility of the practitioner to tell patients when to stop, to be honest about what is going to be aesthetically pleasing and what what might be distorting to them. Because often patients can't see themselves in 3D. You see, they only see themselves in the mirror, which is 2D. So they don't see how their lips look when they're smiling or speaking. So in those cases, I would take a photo or a video and, and discuss with my patients. And I think... At the beginning in Liverpool, that was a little bit difficult because it was well, you know, I'll go to skin clinic then and they'll do my big lips and and what's wrong with it? And it was it was overcoming a hurdle on the barrier and actually it was brilliant because I don't think many people back then were having those conversations mm-hmm. um, and so they'd leave and say, I've never been told that actually, and thank you so much. Um, and we would dissolve and start fresh and it was it was really beautiful to be a part of. So I think. It was a hurdle because I thought, am I doing the right thing? And am I even going to succeed, you know, in this area? Because I'm not doing what patients want. But at the end of the day, I think the responsibility lies with the practitioner to guide the patients. In terms of other hurdles, again, so many. I, I think you have to surround yourself with um, positive and uplifting people. People who are going to be supportive and understanding. But also equally tell you when you're, when when you know, when you do something wrong or when you shouldn't be doing something. I think you need to be around really... And honest and supportive people who can help guide you on your journey and I think you know I wouldn't be where I am today without all of the experiences that I've had so I always acknowledge every single person that has helped me along my journey from working in the hospital setting to working alongside my mum who's my biggest inspiration um, to working amongst one of the most famous dentists in Liverpool Tracy Bell all of them put me on a stepping stone really to get to where I am today and for that I'm very very thankful.
0: Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. I think every time I've personally, I mean, I'm just starting off on my journey, but I think every time I've gone through something that hasn't gone to plan, at some point down the line, I've realized exactly why that thing didn't happen. Certain things will happen organically and very naturally. Certain things will kind of stumble and they won't happen organically and you will force it to happen if you're inexperienced. And I've always found that those things, there's something wrong with them. So whether it was a job that I wanted and I didn't get, and then later I found out that exact reason why I didn't get it. So I a hundred percent agree with you. I think everything happens for a reason and you might not realize this at the time, but you will at some point down the line. So it's all, it's all part of the journey and it's all part of the process. How do you balance your personal life and your professional life because this profession is is very stressful you know especially with facial aesthetics you pretty much have to be on call 24 7 for your patients exactly as we were discussing before if there is a complication anything like that you have to be very very responsive to your patients um but how do you manage that with having a personal life having a normal life and switching off um when you need to
1: I think creating boundaries and time management and time planning is really important. And um, so I schedule in admin days every week um, uh, and that's really important. I work um, I work hours that mean that I can go home and be with my kids and, and cook and put them to bed and bath them and snuggle them in bed. And I think that's really important and also fulfills my why. Um, I want to be a mother. I want to be a present mother to my children. Um, and, you know, I think every single working mother will undergo some kind of mom guilt. It's very, very normal. Um, I certainly did. And along that journey, I um, I had people who maybe told me not to work because I, I should stay at home with my kids all the time. And whilst I understand that viewpoint, it wasn't going to work for me. Um, so for me, it was really important that I had a balance that would mean that I was emotionally and intellectually satisfied so that I could be the best possible clinician that I could be and also be a mom. So I think um being authentic, being authentic with my partner as well, um, saying what it is that I need and I need it to work. You know, like I said, it is chicken soup for my soul. It's not about the money. I don't even count what I make at the end of the day, week, month. I, I don't even know, nor do I count, nor, nor is that my main purpose. Um, my purpose is to get out of bed with excitement and happiness and to make smiles, create smiles. Um so, and I think you know for me, I have a son and I have a daughter, and it's really important that my both my children look up to me and they feel empowered and enabled to do whatever it is that they want to do and whatever it is that sets their heart and soul on fire um and I hope that you know when they're older, they can look up and say, "My mama did that and and that gives them encouragement um so again, I think if you if you know why you're doing what you're doing, um I don't want to work. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there was a time when I did, I worked myself to a bone, but that's not healthy for anybody. And I think at some point also, I felt really guilty about saying no to patients. So I'd get patients saying, you know, please, will you see me next week? Because I'm getting married and I really desperately want to see you and I can't see anyone else. And I'd say yes. And, and actually, uh, overwhelming myself and my books wasn't healthy for anybody. Um. So, over time, I realized, no, um I, that's not the way that I want to run my clinic. And I wanted to have the time to spend with my patients and discuss with them, you know the motivation for having treatment, how they feel, getting to know my patients, and really being a part of their journey. Um, and and again, you know, I had to make that mistake. I had to go through the the not saying no and not creating boundaries and and overworking to realize that's not what I want to do, and I'm not doing anybody favors. If, if I don't schedule in me time and family time, then I'm not going to be, you know, fulfilled all round. And I need to I need to make sure that I tick off and feel happy in all departments of my life so that I can continue giving back. Um, and I think there's something to really be said about you. That there's a saying where um, it goes, you can't pour from an empty cup. Um, and I really, really believe that. And I think as clinicians, we can sometimes throw ourselves into our work because we love what we do. Um. But scheduling and time off is super important. And that's also why, you know, when my when my business really started to take off and my clinic got busy, I expanded my team quite rapidly because I knew I needed someone else that I could trust to take care of my patients. I knew that I needed a good receptionist. I knew I needed a manager. I knew I needed a clinical assistant. And they, it's teamwork, it's a team effort. Um, and it's not just me that looks after my patients, it's every single member of the team. And without them, without that entire family in that tree, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. So um, I, I really think that if you want to be fulfilled, you've got to have balance um, and you're got to have a good team. It, it takes teamwork. You're, it's not a solo show.
0: <laughs> yeah, I 100% agree with you. I had my first year of working over full-time I was working 12 hours a day six days a week and Mm -hmm. you get to a point where you're so drained physically and mentally that you're not the best version of yourself whether that's clinically or in your personal life so I think that's something that everyone has to go through in their own way to find out exactly what not to do. Let's focus on the facial skeleton and how we develop. We know that, you know, our bone is in constant turnover. How do we age uh, in in soft tissue and hard tissue terms?
1: I think that's a really, really good question. We age in layers. So the face, the way that we look, is um, it's not just because of the skin. Underneath the skin, you have fat. Underneath the fat, you have muscle. Underneath the muscle, you have more fat. And then you have bone. And we actually age in every single layer. Um, and that's normal one of the first uh, ways that we start to age and the first changes morphologically that happen is in the bone um and uh, and when the bone the bone is a structure i always say it's like the foundation okay so when the foundation changes everything that sits on top will also change when with aging in the bone it starts to resorb so it shrinks back so the eye sockets start to get wider the the nose, the bone or the aperture or the nasal aperture, we call it, widens and so the nose starts to to droop down. The mandible, which is the lower jaw, starts to shrink back and so the face doesn't have much support so it starts to look saggy. Because the bone around the eye changes, the eyebrows start to descend and they become heavy and the eyelids become heavy. And then the eye sits further back in the sockets and you can get um, hollowing underneath the eye. So all of that is going to make an impact on everything that sits on top, all of the soft tissue on top. And then the fat, the fat is one of the most important components of facial aging. And you have deep fat pads and you have superficial fat pads. And the deep fat pads, again, they give you structure. So in a youthful face, you've got quite a lot of cheek mass. And as we age, that fat pad starts to shrink back and it starts to go away. And because the muscle starts to become lax and the ligaments start to become lax, we call that layer SMAS, the SMAS layer, the superficial muscular aponeurotic layer. Um, And that becomes loose. So when that becomes a little bit more loose, the superficial fat pads slide down. So everything is moving. It's not not sitting in one place, it's dynamic. Um, So one of the main places that we age is in the mid face, It's it's the biggest change and what you'll start to see is you'll see that the malar fat pad changes and it goes and it shrinks away and unlike fat in our abdomens or in our arms where we've got you know fat can come and go fat in the face and particularly the deep fat pads they they do not reverse so they do not renew they you, you cannot get that um, fat pad back and so you'll start to see changes on the skin and the skin starts to sag you get lines from the nose to the mouth called nasolabial folds. The under eyes look darker and deeper because they're not supported with a nice fatty layer anymore. So they look hollow, they look gaunt. Um, And then the skin ages and the skin will undergo normal changes such as loss of elastin. We lose collagen at a rate of 1.5% every single year over the age of 25. So by the time we're 35, we've lost about 15% of our elastin and collagen. And because the elastin holds water in our skin, we start to look more dehydrated and we get fine lines and wrinkles. The skin around our eyes is one tenth the thickness as the rest of the face. So it's one of the first places where you start to notice fine lines and wrinkles. And I get kind of young 30 year olds that come and say, oh, my goodness, what's happening around my eyes that that, that wasn't there five years ago um, or even last year. Um, and, and really, that's why age related changes. You, patients start to walk in around early to mid thirties because they start to notice morphological changes in their face. But it's important to understand uh, what happens in the deeper layer, so that if you have a comprehensive understanding of how the different layers age, you can then formulate a, a bespoke treatment plan that addresses the different layers of aging. So, for example, if you are if you've lost fat pads in the cheeks um, or, or volume in the cheeks, then you would want to replace mass in the um, cheek area okay so we address the fat loss in that area and that's the the fat loss in that area of selective fat loss is called lipoatrophy but funnily enough in the cheek in the fat sorry the fat of the face works in a funny way in some fat pads they shrink back and some fat pads enlarge so the malar fat pads they shrink back we call that resorption and then the gel fat pads hypertrophy so they become larger so that results in a complete change in the actual shape of the face you go from having a heart shaped face in youth where you've got nice cheekbones and maybe a tapered chin to a more rectangular face because the chin shrinks back and then the jowls become heavy so it looks a little bit square over there Um, but understanding the morphological changes means that you you can then address it and you can flip the facial shape back to a heart-shaped face if of course that's what the patient desires
0: What do you normally see with your patients in terms of what they mainly complain of? Because we can sort of assess and know what's happening to their soft tissues and to their facial skeleton. But what do patients mainly complain of when they come and see you for treatment, whether that's, you know, in their early thirties or a little bit later?
1: So um obviously I run an aesthetic medical clinic and um, whilst we have some patients who come in for a purely cosmetic enhancement to their face, the majority of them come in with what I would call aesthetic medical um, issues. And that might be disease, it it might be dermatological conditions. So it might be something like acne um, or excess oil, congestion in the skin, dehydrated skin, aging skin, hyperpigmentation. So that that I would uh, put under an umbrella of dermatological conditions. I see a lot of patients for that. Um, And then I have skeletal discrepancies or um, deformities. So that might be a nasal hump deformity, it might be an underdeveloped chin or an overdeveloped chin. So an imbalance in the heart tissues and in the soft tissues. Um, and then age-related changes. So, and again, that will be in various different levels, but patients won't always know that. So they'll come in and say, you know, my skin looks a little bit dehydrated. I've got fine lines and wrinkles around my eyes. Um, I've got these uh, lines, sorry. Um, and I've got these mouth to nose, nose to mouth lines, sorry. And I've got eye bags. And those are, the, those are the words that they will use and that, those are the things that they will see. And so then I would look at them and make a full face assessment and say, right, well, the reason why you have these nose to mouth lines is because you've lost volume in the cheek. And the reason why you have under eye bags is because you've lost volume in the infraorbital orbital fat pad underneath the eye. And the reason why the eyebrow has dropped is of course, because the, the bone has changed in that area. So we can support the eyebrow with temple augmentation We can support the tear trough with cheek augmentation and tear trough augmentation and addressing the source of the problem. So very rarely would I go, right, Okay, so you've got a nose to mouth line. Let's fill that. I call Mm -hmm. that chasing a line. And I think Mm -hmm. it's it's short sighted and it's it's a very old um, method. Now we look at the source of the problem and we try and restore the lost volume, and therefore that lifts up the tissues. So a patient often has nose to mouth lines called nasolabial folds because they've lost volume in the cheeks. So if you replace the volume in the cheek, that immediately lifts the nasolabial folds. And mm-hmm. then addressing the skin. And I think the skin is really, really important because it's the canvas. And if the canvas isn't looking good, then you're going to get suboptimal um, results generally. And um, So I always say, start with the skincare. Um, And skincare is something that patients can do at home and there are interventional treatments that we do in clinic, but we can empower them with using the right skincare products that can make, again, changes at a cellular level in the skin. And I call that using medical grade skincare, um, which then optimizes the entire treatment results and the journey of the patient.
0: important to know that there are so many different things out there from devices to fillers to medical grade skincare which is why it's so important to see a skilled practitioner for for treatment and advice and i think with when it comes to facial aesthetics and anti-aging i really think there is a place for prevention because as you said the sooner you act essentially the less there is a need for things like dermal fillers down the line because you can essentially you know firm up your own tissues and look after them so that they age gracefully when would you say Is the right time to sort of start looking after your skin? It's probably when you're born, but generally, realistically, when should you start looking after your skin, investing in medical grade skincare, and just looking after it a little bit better with professional help?
1: You know, I think anybody or teenage level should be using good quality skincare because prevention is better than cure, and that doesn't have to be a complex or expensive skincare regime. And I think there is appropriate skincare for teenage years there's appropriate skincare for your twenties, then your thirties, your forties and your fifties. And you will tailor and add in different ingredients depending on what is happening um, in that patient's skin at that time. So we know that during teenage years, patients go through hormonal changes. They will have uh, surges of testosterone and estrogen and that will result in oil, uh, increased oil in the skin, congestion, breakouts. So you might want to incorporate salicylic acid, which is a beta hydroxy acid into their skin care. Um, a gentle cleanser and always a sun protection because sun protection is something that really should be utilized from birth. Um, And there are different ones um, for for baby type skin to older skin types. So I think everybody should be using good quality skincare, but it doesn't have to be expensive. But I think in terms of anti-aging ingredients, I would say over the age of 25, because that's when we start to lose collagen. See, up until the age of 25, we're renewing and making new collagen then unfortunately we hit that golden age and we start to lose at 1.5% a year every year. And sun damage is commutative. The damage we did in our teens shows in our twenties, the damage we do in our twenties shows in our thirties and so on. So incorporating um, active ingredients that will help to stimulate collagen production I think over the age of 25 is a good age to start doing that. Um, and, and I call it collagen banking because we, we we up until the age of 25, we're putting collagen into our bank. And then from the age of 25, that bank is being depleted. Anything you can do that adds collagen back into that bank and gives you a better reserve will keep you going for a longer period and will keep you out of clinics like mine. You know, there's no age where you're too old um, and there's no age where you have to have intervention. Nobody needs intervention. And I get asked a lot about, for example, Botox, botulinum toxin, um, which is an injectable treatment used to stop um, dynamic movements of muscles and is traditionally used to to soften temporarily uh, lines and wrinkles of the upper face. There's no right age. It depends on when you start to notice that you have dynamic wrinkles and lines. And and if you've got good genetics and your mom doesn't have lines and wrinkles until she's 50, then you're probably gonna be able to go longer. But I've seen seen, uh, women in their early twenties or men in their early twenties that have deep lines and sun damage because they weren't maybe using the right skincare um, earlier on. Um, So there isn't a specific age. Um, Definitely in terms of interventions or injectables, nothing below the age of 18, but in terms of skincare, lifelong really as long as you're using those ingredients and appropriate to your age group
0: yeah absolutely and i think you touched on spf and i think spf is so so important and a lot of us including myself don't take this seriously we hear about it we know we're supposed to do it. it's not just that you have to wear spf when you go out on holiday when it's a sunny day actually cloudy days overcast days you're still getting those rays and even from computer screens you know phone screens you are getting that um that radiation so you do need to wear spf um, so what kind of levels of SPF would you suggest? Again, this is very broad, so it's going to be specific to every person. But generally, what kind of level of SPF would you advise that we wear?
1: So definitely over uh, SPF 30. And I think it's important to understand that SPF is just a measure um, of protection against UVB rays, which is, I always say there's two types of, of, main mainly two types, but there's obviously high energy visible radiation and infrared radiation. So you've got UVA rays, and I think, think A for ageing, there's UVB rays, think B for burning. Then there's high energy visible light, which comes from our phones and um, our computer screens, um, otherwise known as blue light, And that actually penetrates deeper than UVA and UVB. And so during lockdown, I think a lot of people who are working from home were not wearing SPF because they thought, well, I'm just at home in front of a computer screen. And yet they started to notice pigmentation, dehydration, fine lines and wrinkles accelerating during that period. And that's because of the consistent and constant a number of hours spent in front of their computer screens without appropriate sun protection or, or UV protection or a high energy visible light protection. So a broad, spectrum UV, uh, a broad spectrum sun protection factor is really important. And that means it has to cover against both UVA and UVB. Now SPF is only a measure of protection against UVB. The measure of protection against UVA is called PA. And you will see it on your SPFs Label PA and then plus, plus, or plus, 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 or plus, 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 plus. So the more pluses you have, the better. Generally, go for about a, about a minimum of three pluses at the end of the PA is what you want to go for. And you know you've got good broad-spectrum UVA and UVB cover and nothing less than SPF 30. Um, I think in children, it's really important also to be wearing SPF. But I think if you're if you're younger than 18 um, or if you're pregnant, try and avoid chemical SPFs. Um, and try and stick to mineral SPFs. So the ingredient that you can, um, that, that are good to look for is things like zinc oxide or titanium dioxide, which are mineral sun protection factors. Um, and the difference between a chemical SPF, a chemical SPF will absorb light and turn it into heat. And of course that can impact skin. It's certainly better than nothing. So if you can't get hold of anything, definitely go for a chemical SPF. But if he, uh, because the chemicals are so tiny, they can be absorbed into the bloodstream. And so I think generally speaking, um, I try and avoid chemicals as much as possible. And I advise that to my patients as well. A mineral SPF is going to be much healthier for your skin and for your overall health because the the particles are much larger. So they can't penetrate through the pores. They will not be absorbed into your bloodstream. And instead of turning or absorbing the the sunlight energy into heat, they reflect and deflect the light. Um, And so we know that pigmentation can also be caused by heat. So chemical SPFs, will turn the UV rays into heat and that can cause pigmentation. So just be aware of that um, if you are pigmentation prone um, so that you can then buy an SPF that suits your skin type.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today. I personally learned so much. I have a list of things I have to go and do now, and I hope everyone else has enjoyed it as well.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Shadi. I love watching your TikToks. You're amazing. Thank you. Um, You're going to have to teach me how to do that one day. I'm definitely not. I'm not a natural with that. But thank you so much for having me. I love being on here.
0: I really hope you enjoyed that episode and hopefully learned a few things. Dr. Yusra is so, so knowledgeable about this topic and I'm so grateful that she came on the show to discuss this topic. As always, I would love to know what you thought of this episode, so feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at Dr. Shadi Manucheri. There will be a new episode every week, so please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to never miss an episode and I can't wait to speak to you soon.